and welcome to the Bible Made Easy podcast. I'm your host, Kelly, and I'm here to help you understand what you just read in the Bible. Hello, everyone. I'm so glad you're on this journey with me. If you are new, welcome. If you have any questions on how the podcast is laid out, you can listen to my introduction episode. And everyone is welcome to go to my website, bmepodcast.com, to drop me a note, ask any questions, or just get up to date on the podcast with the resources I have there, including links to all of my pop culture references. This week is week 32. We will be reading Zephaniah 1 through 3 and Jeremiah chapters 1 through 22. The timeline is 638 BC to 588 BC. And we will begin in Zephaniah. I want to start with, I do not understand those that think that God winks at sin and will not do anything about it. Zephaniah is a good reminder as to why that is false, especially chapter 1, verse 17b. Their blood will be poured out like dust and their entrails like dung. But even as awful as all that is, God gives invitation and opportunity to come back to him, to humble ourselves and seek his forgiveness as we understand the depths of our sin. But if you or a nation in general does not, look at chapter 2, verses 9 through 10, where he says not only will he make their land a wasteland full of nothing but weeds and salt, he also says he will give any of the plunder left to his people. Take note, though, of all the cities and countries God will destroy. Judah, so you, (laughs) the ones who should know better, Philistia, Moab, Ammon, Cush, and Assyria. However, in chapter 3, we see that Jerusalem did not repent and then paid the price for it. Because God is a loving God, though he kept a remnant. All those who did humble themselves, no matter where they were, God will restore them and bring them back and turn their enemies away. They will never fear any harm and the mighty warrior, God, will take great delight in those people and he will restore their fortunes before their very eyes. On a Kelly side note, while I believe the only thing that will cause change in the heart of a believer is to love God with all their heart, mind, and spirit, as that is the first commandment, I would also urge those who are not doing that to look and see that the Lord is good and there is no condemnation in him. He loves you more than anyone or anything ever will, and he wants to have that relationship with you. So if you're turned away, please come back. He loves you and he will run to you. And we jump into the book of Jeremiah. (laughs) Jeremiah is a tough book to go through. I will not lie, or at least for me it is. Literally, the one bright spot in this is when God says, I know the plans I have for you. And even that is not until chapter 29, which we don't even get to in this podcast. We'll, We'll get into it next podcast. However, as tough as it is to read this book, it's a great time to be introspective on your own walk with God. And, uh... Remember what you should and should not do. Also, it is a time to feel sorry for Jeremiah and hear some of our own protests come out of his mouth. So God comes to Jeremiah and is like, friend, I knew you before you were formed in the womb and I had a destination for you. Jeremiah's like, uh, great, but I'm too young and I don't know how to speak. God's like, no, excuses will not be given here. He touches Jeremiah's mouth and then says, I have put my words in your mouth and I appoint you over nations. After God says that in chapter two, the very next moment, God comes to Jeremiah and tells him what to say. Israel, you loved me once. You were devoted to me and my ways. And in return, I blessed you. I made sure you were devoid of disaster. But then 
you changed. You started following worthless idols and in turn became worthless yourself. You still would not turn back, even though I am the one that brought you out of brutal slavery in Egypt. I'm the one that brought you to your own land and the best land, but you came in and defiled it. Not even your priests would stay loyal to me, but ran after Baal. Therefore, you are now charged in your children and their children. Heaven is to be appalled by your behavior and shudder in horror. And there is literally nowhere for you to run to outrun the punishment. Furthermore, the only reason you are sad is because you've been caught and called out for your behavior, not for the actual sin you committed. Chapter 3 shows just how far Judah had gone and how she watched Israel commit her sins. They not only followed in those footsteps, but did even worse with absolutely no regard for God. And yet, in chapter 4, God has Jeremiah share how they can come back and be reconciled to God. And then God warns of what is coming if they don't. God goes on and shares what destruction is about to befall them and how they are not prepared for the horror that is awaiting them if they don't turn back. And did you catch in Jeremiah 4.10? Then I said, Alas, sovereign Lord, how completely you have deceived this people and Jerusalem by saying you will have peace when the sword is at our throats. In chapter 5, God addresses this comment and says, If one righteous person can be found, he will relent on the disaster. However, as Jeremiah looks around, he realizes there is no one. And furthermore, they not only are not righteous, but are being slanderers and liars of who God is. They even boast that God will not do anything. And while Jeremiah pleads for them to get it, he realizes they don't and won't. And the shock and terror from the north will come to them. Chapter 6, we see more description of the disaster that will befall Judah. But God makes sure they are told that Jerusalem itself will be ruined. So it's like... um here in America, if Washington, D.C. were to be destroyed. It's not even just the country. It is the entire seat of power. Like, it's all going to be gone. Everything that you know, all the systems, all of it, gone. In chapter 7, God has Jeremiah go and stand at the gate to the temple and to tell Judah that when destruction comes, they will want to hide in this temple. And God says he will let them if they repent and do what is right. If they don't, he will not let them stay. Would he really allow them to be in his temple and do their wicked and horrid deeds? No, absolutely not. And God says to go to Shiloh if you don't believe what will happen. See the destruction and horror that befell that city and all of Ephraim because they did not follow God. And God tells Jeremiah to not pray for this people, nor offer a plea or petition for them because he won't listen to it. These are evil and wicked people in All of them are doomed to destruction for not only the choices they have made, but the ones they will continue to do so since they refuse to repent. And God tells Jeremiah to say all of this. He also warns him that the people will not listen to him or give him any acknowledgement so to tell them what is coming. And not only will this generation be food for birds and the wild animals, but their kings and leaders' bones will be exposed to the elements. And when they are finally taken away from Judah, they will prefer death to the life they are going to live. And then in chapter 8, it talks about sin and punishment, but it is told by God's perspective and how all he wants is for us to follow him and his ways. And they are truly the best ways and will bring our own happiness if we follow him. It also shows God mourning for the people because they have chosen not to follow him and their destruction is their own. One of the most haunting verses to me is chapter 8, verse 20, where it says, The harvest is past, the summer has ended, 
and we are not saved. Even Jeremiah is crushed over all of this. In chapter 9, as Jeremiah laments to God about how horrified and grieved he is over the sin of Judah, God tells him to speak to the people further about what has caused this. And Jeremiah is like, listen, I don't know if they're going to get what is going on, and that is why they're being punished. God says, then tell them what I say to you, and continues to tell Jeremiah what to say. Chapter 10 is the history and crimes, once again, that Judah has done against the Lord. Not only did they act in sin, but they forgot who God is. Jeremiah prays to God and people of Judah, you would do right to follow that prayer. (laughs) But alas, as we know, they do not. My favorite line in the prayer where I would say amen in agreement is uh, in chapter 10, verse 24. Discipline me, Lord, but only in two measure, not in your anger, or you will reduce me to nothing. That's a big ol' amen. In chapter 11, once again, we see God comes to Jeremiah and tells him what he will say. And Jeremiah answers, amen, Lord. God goes into detail about the covenant he made with the Israelites when he took them out of Egypt and how since then they have gone the exact opposite way of the covenant. And once again reminds Jeremiah that there is no use in plea or petition as he will not listen. Judah will be punished for all that they have done. And then we find out that people don't like hearing the truth when they are doing wrong at any time in history. As we see, they are now plotting against Jeremiah. Alas, for those idiots, God is on Jeremiah's side. Meanwhile, Jeremiah has the same reaction I usually do. Oh, dang, (laughs) was not expecting that. But God says, don't worry, those at Anatoth will be punished so that not even a remnant of them will be left. Yikes. And then chapter 12, everything kind of hits Jeremiah and he complains to God, not only about the people that want him dead, that it seems God is not moving fast enough to uproot them. He keeps preaching that God is going to punish them, yet Jeremiah hasn't seen anything, which shows you can ask God anything, and he isn't going to smite you for doing so. In fact, you can accuse him and be angry with him, etc. God can handle your emotions. He gave them to you. He's not scared of them. God does answer Jeremiah. He reminds him that his persecutors aren't just people out there. There is his family, too. God reminds Jeremiah that just like himself, he too must be patient with the people. After all, if Jeremiah can barely run with these men, how is he going to run with horses? Or better yet, if this persecution is coming to him in a safe place, how will he be when he is in a more dangerous place? God reminds him that as much as he is being patient for his people to repent, he is being patient in building Jeremiah up as more is to come. At that point, if I were Jeremiah, I'd be like, In chapter 13, God gives Jeremiah some real life examples of what is going on. And I hope you noticed in verse 23, can an Ethiopian change his skin or a leopard its spots? Neither can you do good who are accustomed to doing evil. Chapter 14, Jeremiah is told to tell the people about the drought. Now, I personally come from a family of farmers. Drought is like a four-letter word. And just imagine being so thirsty and yet not even one drop of water to be had. My throat tightens just thinking about it. God once again tells Jeremiah not to pray or petition for the people as he won't listen and they will be punished for their sins. Jeremiah is like, yeah, I believe you, but the prophets that say they come from you are saying that you won't do any of that and for them to keep on living as they have been. God's like, oh, I know. And they are liars and they will pay even more for what they have done. In fact, you can tell them what will happen if they keep doing it. 
chapter 15. Furthermore, God is like, not even if Samuel or Moses were here, would my heart go out for these people. I squirm at that. (laughs) Nothing scares me more than if God wanted to do away with me. To make his point even more, because he is going to send four kinds of destroyers against them. The sword to kill, the dogs to drag away. Quick note, please know that the dogs of today were not the same dogs at this time. Think more wolf than Great Dane. The birds and animals will devour and destroy, and they will be abhorrent to all the other kingdoms, in that no one will come to their rescue. Even as he says, all of this, God gives them the chance to repent and come back to him. He will not punish them if they do. Then in chapter 16, God tells Jeremiah not to marry or have children in that place as the people are going to have some deadly diseases and it will be so bad that they won't even be buried. Reminds me of the beginning of the Secret Garden movie, the one with Jenny James and Colin Firth as the adult Colin Craven where her parents die. Insert barf emoji here. Go see that scene if you want to know what I'm talking about. And it reinforces that image in my mind because God says not to eat any of the mourners' houses either. Ew. God tells Jeremiah they will ask, why is this happening? And tells him what to say about their sin. God goes on to say that all of what is happening is all in his hands and he gives them the words to say for those that turn back to him. In chapter 17, God has Jeremiah go to the gates of the temple and tell the rulers and everyone there to repent and to keep the Sabbath holy. But if they will not, destruction is coming. In fact, he says, I will kindle an unquenchable fire in the gates of Jerusalem that will consume her fortresses. In chapter 18, God has Jeremiah go to the potter's house to give him another real life example of what he can do, just like the potter. And he then has Jeremiah go and tell that to the people. But he does warn him, yet again, the people are not going to listen to Jeremiah (laughs) or repent. And God has the response to give for that as well. Then we find out once again that truth hurts and the people are planning on killing Jeremiah as if killing the messenger changes the truth. Big eye roll. This, of course, distresses Jeremiah and he calls out to God in fear. I mean, who wouldn't? So in chapter 19, God has Jeremiah go and buy a clay jar from the potter. And this time, Jeremiah gets to show the demonstration to others. So he does what God tells him to do. And what I think is the grossest line, I will make them eat the flesh of their sons and daughters. There's just so much blech in all of this. Then God has him break the jar to show God is going to smash that city, Jerusalem, like he did Topeth. And oh yeah, Jeremiah then goes to Topeth and says, Hi, I have a message for you, and you are not going to like it. We don't see the reaction, but I can't imagine that they took it well. And then chapter 20 confirms our suspicion. As soon as the priest Pashur heard what Jeremiah was prophesying, he had him beaten and put in the stocks at the upper gate of Benjamin's at the Lord's temple. Once released, Jeremiah looks at Pashur and said, The Lord changed your name. You're now terror on every side because you're a terror to yourself and everyone else who knows or meets you. In fact, when Babylon comes and takes everyone, not only will you and everyone you lied to be taken, but you will die and be buried there. Then Jeremiah laments to God, which if I were him, I would too. Of course, I'd probably be complaining this whole time, which is probably why God did not call me to this. He's like, hey, wait a minute. I did what you told me and I still got beaten and put in jail. Not to mention that it is you, Lord, that put me up to this. I am ridiculed and hated by literally everyone. 
But if I don't say what you tell me to, I have to face your wrath. And (laughs) no thank you. I really should not have been born. I mean, a bit dramatic perhaps, but I can honestly say I'd probably say the same. Probably feel the same too. In chapter 21, we see the lament phased God, not at all, as God gave us our emotions. And I have no doubt understands when we're throwing a pity party like a three-year-old because we honestly don't get it. And God is the only one there to blame. King Zedekiah has his messengers come to Jeremiah to ask if God will show favor on them and keep Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, from attacking them. Jeremiah's like, no. And tells Zedekiah that the Lord says, not only am I going to not stop Babylon from coming against you, I myself am coming against you. Anyone living in the city will die of terrible plague. Zedekiah and his officials who survived the plague the sword, and the famine will be put into Nebuchadnezzar's hands and he will show no mercy, pity, or compassion to you. Furthermore, Jeremiah says, tell the people that the Lord said anyone who stays in the city will die by plague, sword, or famine. But if you surrender to the Babylonians, you will live. And then continues to read the reason that this is happening to them. Personally, I'd be going to Babylon. And in chapter 22, we see where God had Jeremiah warn the king of what they needed to do to repent and God would keep them safe. If they didn't, the disaster was coming and would be accomplished through the Babylonians. So yeah, we we definitely know how this one ends. So this is where we end today. Uh, If you have any reactions, thoughts, questions, or words you need to throw my way, please do so at my website, bmepodcast.com. Otherwise, have a most fabulous week, and I will talk to you in the next episode. Bye.